Scuba Obsessed is the weekly podcast where we talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba news. Scuba Obsessed episode 135 is recorded live October 25th, 2012. Welcome back to Scoob Obsessed. I'm Darren Jilson, and here's a few of the articles we're going to have this week. We have a tank scare, uh, zebra mussels fail, and we also have a, a big donations keep excavating excavations going, uh, along with uh, we had a full dive week, so we have plenty to talk about. Also, we have a full crew of co-hosts. We have Mac, the dive mentor. How you doing today, Mac? Well, I'm doing fairly well. No diving, but I'm still here. Well, that's... that's too bad, but uh, you feel like you're getting any closer? Uh, it's going to be a couple of months. A couple of months. Well, at least it's the uh, you're getting into the cold months. So I guess if you're going to have to be out for any amount of time. Yeah. Other than you're missing the uh, river dive. It sure does look that way. And uh, my key, as long as I don't miss the ice dive for New Year's. Yeah, you, uh, two months. Yeah, you, you're just in that window there. Well, I'm sure my buddies would help me put on something and just throw my body in the water and drag me out. Oh, of course. We we throw you in the water anytime. And, and, and it's dragging out part to go with us though. <laughs> you want you want us to pull you out too? Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's an extra part my wife wants. <laughs> and speaking of dive buddies who may pull you out, we have uh, Jim Schultz. How you doing today, Jim? I am just great. Sounds like I'm doing better than Max, so. And what we're going to do is we're going to get right on into the news. Want to thank everybody who's in the chat room. Have a good chat room going tonight. The first article, and let me paste it in there so people can follow along. Uh, there looks like there was a little bit of a scare, and this was today. Suspicious package at Kirkland. Uh, there was a package that had suspicious hissing sound coming out of it, and that was uh, Monday morning. And uh, what they did is uh, they evacuated the the postal center. And they called the person the package was to, and uh, they were able to identify that it was uh, two tanks. And one of the tanks just happened to be leaking. Uh, he was called, and um, the hazardous material crew said the, the package contained compressed air. Our stress levels came down a little bit at that point. Uh, he urged citizens to check regulators before shipping any such devices. And similarly, he says that the tops of those things can get a little knocked off, potentially uh, launching them like a missile. And uh, so, yeah, that, that would be a little bit scary to have a, a hissing bag, wouldn't it? Well, at the post office, I would have thought the lady would have asked what's in it that you're going to be mailing. Number two is, that's got to be darn expensive to post office mail to scuba tanks. And why would you ship tanks with air in them? Doesn't everybody know you either leave the valve wide open or remove the valve whenever you ship tanks? I'm guessing guess not. not. <laughs> I guess not. You know, I, think, I think he does now. They said details were few, but... Uh, most employees of the post office were gathered in the parking lot across the street while the the incident happened. I can't yeah. imagine that was cheap trying to send that to the post office, though. Yeah, I, that would not be the the my preferred method for for shipping a tank. And and I wonder why why would you are you shipping in anticipation of going somewhere or maybe selling it or buying it? Yeah, I, I, again, I can't believe anybody would not be smart enough to take the air out first. And uh, again, if you're doing a hydro, take the valve out. 
but people I didn't know. It's interesting to have more details. Next up is we have the DNR out of Minnesota. They had attempted to kill some zebra mussels, and they're now reporting that their treatment has failed. This was done in two lakes. They used a formulation of of copper sulfate, a chemical commonly used to treat lakes for swimmer's itch, and this was done in Lake Irene in Douglas County and Rose Lake in Otter Tail County. DNR's invasive species naturalist Nathan Olson said the agency did not find any zebra mussel larvae or large zebra mussels during scuba searches this summer. He says during fall searches, the DNR did find adult zebra mussels in both lakes. Now, do they grow that quick, or they just were they looking at a different spot? How long does it take them to go from eggs to adults? I'm just curious why they're using copper sulfate, because they're saying they use that to treat for um, swimmer's itch. I don't remember using copper sulfate for zebras. Did you see that part where they were saying they were using it to kill something different? I didn't see what, well, I saw they used it for uh, swimmer's itch, but is there something other than swimmer's itch that it's used for? Well, that's what I'm saying. I don't remember seeing copper sulfate used for zebra mussels around here. It's sonar and other chemicals. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's just something that they had a lot of or it was in their budget. Or maybe they were just trying it, <laughs> I guess. But uh, it looks like it didn't work. So if you maybe if you can't beat them, join them. This next one, we have uh, a researcher who has been uh, taking a look at seaweed. He says it holds the secret to underwater glue. This is out of the University of Canterbury. In New Zealand, they said that seaweed can be used as an effective and water-resistant commercial glue. Uh, Dr. Simone DiMatteo was inspired to do the research while walking the cliffs of Ortango Peninsula. He noticed that huge amounts of kelp being continuously battered by big, strong ocean waves. He thought they must produce something really sticky to stop being washed away. He said the most impressive thing is that kelp attaches to rocks underwater. Even the best-made, man-made adhesives would fail under those conditions. He said his uh, preliminary ex- experiment showed that kelp was effective to sticking to glass surfaces. And in further tests proved that it could stick to plastics and metals. But a major aim is to devise a biocompatible glue that can be used in one of the wettest systems in the world, the human body. So right now he's working on making a synthetic counterpart. I, I've, I've heard that before. It seems like somebody else is doing the same thing with seaweed. I don't think it's normally a brand new item. Maybe he's trying a different tack for it. Yeah. Well, I could remember my grandfather talking about as a kid that they used to use fish glue, and that's what they would use on model boats. It was a glue made from fish. He would say that his mom uh, made him keep it outside because as soon as you put it in the house, it stunk the whole place up. I think this is uh, from New Zealand to them, correct? Yes. This one, how the new hours? Yeah. You think the kelp might be a little different down there? Well, I'm just wondering. He said the special technique to detect and determine the kind of chemicals present in the kelp glue. So I just wondered if it's if there's something unique about the different types of kelp or if they're all pretty much the same. And that's a good question. You, you, you'd have a, a lot of material there for you. Yeah. Seems like your resource would be pretty cheap to uh, harvest. Yeah. Well, But even with it being cheap, they're not talking about using it. They're talking about synthesizing it into a, uh, a man-made chemical. That's true. But to me, it makes more sense just using the kelp. And what if it stinks as bad as when you bring it up on the surface and let it dry? <laughs> uh, yeah, good question. Yeah. Uh, next one is uh, some scientists are looking at the acidification of oceans. Uh, they're saying that uh, scuba divers are diving in year 2100. They might be. They might hear what dinosaurs did. Said so the rising acidity in the ocean is uh, change could change underwater acoustic conditions 
back to their Cretaceous period allows some low-frequency sound like whale songs to travel twice as far as they do now. I didn't know acidity did that, unless you're obviously, you're obviously changing the pH of the water, but I'm not sure what that does. Yeah, I I would think it'd have to do more with density than pH, but um, I mean, I guess that's why they're scientists. They can find out stuff like that. Well, they were saying, what, whales can talk over thousands of miles with their low frequency? Yeah. And they're saying they can increase it? Yep, they said that uh, the, the, the conditions will mimic what they did 300 million years ago. So we didn't screw up the water after all, is what he's saying. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's something I've been saying for quite a while. Uh, I, I think it's interesting. Here we're talking 300 million years ago, and the different items that you can see have changed in the continent. The world, you know, the polarization well, changes, and yeah. the heat of the, you know, the water getting hotter. Since we're living in an area that used to be a tropical sea, how can they say that we're making it warmer than it was in the past? I mean, what, 150 years we've been tracking the weather here, maybe 200. Yeah, and we're talking I, 300 million. Yeah, I don't know. I, that's that's kind of been my point is. We're taking such a short snapshot of time, and then we extrapolate it and say that we're doing a whole lot. I mean, I'm I'm for polluting the least amount possible, but I don't necessarily think that uh, everything is man-made. You know, and I think sometimes it's futile to try and manipulate our environment. It's better to be, to learn how to be more adaptable, so that when change does come, natural or man-made, that we're able to survive it. Mm-hmm. Did you look at all the comments on that particular one? No, I didn't. What, I bet that I don't think any of them are really serious. I mean, like, well, maybe I should stop peeing in the water. Oh. <laughs> uh, it was Bush's fault, I think, is what this guy here said. And uh, Yeah, it was from the Huffington Post, so. That's true, too. That's it. It's, if it's reported by CBS, NBC, it's got to be not true. <laughs> yeah. Now, I love this one. He says, uh, this is ocean research of pH. Uh, we're about to boil, which, so it will make the speed of sound in water exceed the speed of light. <laughs> okay. Well, then that brings us to uh, another ecological issue, uh, trash diving. Uh, no treasure in underwater dive. 36 divers were up uh, shortly after the sun rose uh, Saturday on the fifth annual Bridgewater Channel dive. It was uh, a cleanup dive. Uh, one of the items they brought up was a 200-pound gate valve from Lake Havasaw City Water Division, a couple construction barricades, three orange cones, two shopping carts, unopened beers. What a way. All right for the beers. Yeah. Did anybody sample to see if they were still good? Fishing poles, sunglasses, a garbage bin, golf balls. Of course, it's an official dive then. And more interesting items. Uh, that also, sounds like the kind of diving we do. Yeah. Yeah, they said uh, they collected more than 300 pounds of trash. Uh, they said, but that didn't include the larger items such as the garbage bin, shopping cart, and gate valve. So it looks like they had a good variety of people. They had uh, adults as well as kids. They had several youth groups, including uh, a Cub Scout pack, uh, Sea Scouts, Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, Renaissance students. So a nice collection of volunteers. And if they're participating in this, maybe they'll grow up to be divers. Exactly. Get them around to see what diving's all about. Where is the Bridgewater at? Where is that? Bridgewater. When I originally read it, I was thinking this was in the UK, but I actually think that it sounds like it's US. So uh, I didn't see any clue looking at the page. No, all the. Uh, let's see here. Contact. 
contact us. Uh, that doesn't help. Uh, uh, Arizona. Arizona? Yep, Arizona. Havasaw News, Lake Havasaw City, Arizona. Well, huzzah to them for getting out there and doing it. And this next one's a little closer to our neck of the woods. If I'm reading this right, they say an aquatic center is planned to go in in the former Merrillville showroom. So I'm assuming that this is Merrillville, Indiana. Well, since it's a Chicago Times publication, probably is. Yep. They said a business owner Wednesday received the first round of approvals needed to transform a former Saturn dealership on US-13 to aquatics and fitness center with a retail store inside. Now, that, isn't there something wrong right there that they have to get approval? Because well, a, a Saturn dealership should be zoned commercially. So I'm going to reuse that building and put in a fitness center. I've got to get approval for it. It sure does sound like it, but if you've got to get a permit just to have a shed put up in your backyard here, I don't know. Maybe a, uh, a zoning change. Yeah. I'm, I'm just trying to think. Of, to me, it seems like the same zoning. Yeah, because if you're a Saturn dealership, you're talking yeah. chemicals and stuff, oils and gases. You're talking traffic, and you're talking major commercial. And aquatics and fitness would be a lot less, be more low-key, I would think. Yeah, we, we want to know why business is doing so tough. Look look at everything you have to go through. Uh, proposal still needs to go through the Planning Commission and Town Council. If approved at those levels, he said he opens open the business in spring. Anderson said an in-ground pool, the 14-foot diving well, will be installed in the building at 1794 West 81st Street um, for scuba diving and swimming classes as well as physical therapy. He said he'll keep the pool temperatures between 88 and 90 degrees. Okay, this, this is, I, I thought uh, this sounded familiar. Gossage, who owns Goose's Scuba and Dyer, said the new location would not only teach scuba diving classes novice, but also teach people to bring, uh, to be scuba diving instructors. So this is, uh, Goose's is uh, adding a new location then. He said a fitness cart, pardon me? I was going to say that one uh, phraseology they used of a uh, 14-foot diving well. What did they mean by that, I wonder? I, Probably a deep end for diving, not scuba, but you think that's what they meant? Yeah, I platform for diving. Well, I think 14 foot gives you deep enough for confined water work. But one of the things that's been popular that Dima's pointing out is swimming classes. Swimming and diving is hot right now with the the last couple Olympics. Uh, Anderson said he's going to also do a fitness cardio area with exercise equipment and fitness classes for kids through seniors. It's a 17,000-square-foot building. A retail store selling scuba and aquatics gear would also be located in the front of the former showroom. He says he would hire 30 new employees in a new location and tends to keep his current one open as well. The uh, a attorney said the board needed to look at the request as a pair, the rental units and the aquatic fitness center. What's the rental units? Are they talking about renting gear? Or has he got something else he's going to be doing there? There's another reference to storage items, and I, I didn't figure what he was talking about there. It says, we're just looking at a storage unit probably wouldn't be considered favorable. That said, the front business could close and the back business could remain open. The town really wants to keep the front business open. The building has been vacant since the Saturn dealership closed four years ago. Seems like they'd want somebody in there for the taxes. So, you know, I don't know. Did uh, the Saturn dealership maybe have some, like, uh, storage? Or is he going to to convert part of it into a storage? 
it doesn't really say. Oh, okay. Here, the back up at the top, it says, Fitness center with a retail store inside and personal storage rental units on the back two acres. So you must be looking at, yeah, in that in that particular area in Maryville, I bet storage units are uh, bring quite a bit of money. Yeah, I bet they do. Wouldn't mind owning a couple. Yeah, I know I know a few guys in the area. I mean, here in our neck of the woods who have storage units, and it's like printing cash. And it's pretty much know, a formula. I know that Goose and Scoop is also on Facebook. Yeah. Well, they, uh, there's been a few times. Last uh, it was a couple of years ago, I was gonna. In the, he had a nice uh, seminar that they were gonna do on tropical diving, but it happened right in the middle of a blizzard, and I didn't get a chance to make it. And I think they're an SSI dive shop as opposed to Patty or Nowie. Yeah, I, I can't remember. They are, yeah, because they'd want to be doing their instructor training courses or their IT classes. Mm-hmm. In the there, next. Uh, I was going to say, the original place looks really nice. I went ahead and took a look at Goose Cuba, and uh, it says Castle Storage, so it looked like it was a combo item. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so maybe this is something he's done in other locations. Yeah. Well, you think about it, you know, a storage place, it's probably good to have at least one person watching, but other than to take uh, the order or take some payments, it's probably not a full-time job. But if you have another business where you can double up some of your resources, Maybe it's a good uh, business to pair. Yeah. Well, they they moved to Dryer in uh, 2003, so they've been there quite a while. Yeah, that's the only place I've known of them being at. Yeah, so they're obviously trying to beef it up and improve. And then near here we have a uh, alleged Buddhist statue uh, being carved from meteorites a thousand years ago. It may not be as ancient as suspected. Uh, Buddhism experts who argue that the statue may be 20th century fake. Uh, critics don't target the material a statue is carved from, but iron, nickel, meteorite from the Siberia-Mongolian border, but outside experts are questioning the statue's origin. They say it's uh, pseudo-Tibetan features make it a European reproduction. Did you look on the bottom of it? <laughs> what, made in China? Uh, yeah, out of Japan. Yeah. And I and I covered this because I want to say they it was somehow scuba related, but I'm not seeing the reference now. Oh well. I know it was a slow news week and just once to Yeah. Meteorites are cool too. That'd be cool finding a meteorite underwater. Especially something large enough to make a statue out of. Well, that's what I, I was wondering. That's a pretty big meteorite. And then here's some donations that we could use. $450,000 in private donations will allow excavation of Blackbeard's ship to continue. This is according to National Geographic. A spur-of-the-moment donation of 32500 allowed North Carolina Department of Cultural Resources to meet its fundraising goal of $450,000 to continue excavating the wreck of Queen Anne's Revenge, which is the legendary 18th century flagship of Blackbeard. Contribution from Rita and Eric Bingham, a retired couple who divide their time between Chapel Hill and a small beach town of Beaufort, came with a special gathering at the museum. Officials scheduled assembly to announce that they were within sight of the goal to display a few of the thousand artifacts that have been recovered since the wreck was discovered in 1996. So, now, did you see the picture, Mac? Yep, I was looking at the one item here. They talk about prize artifacts, including gold dust. Uh-huh. 
Now, is that they gold dust really from the ship, or is that just natural in the area? They said from the ship. So I'm just curious where the gold dust came from. If there's gold dust, maybe there's more, big part to gold. So they said uh, sword handles, rare French apothecary weights, glass beads, about the size of a nail head. Well, I can see where they have thousands if you got, you know, thousands of artifacts, if you got thousands of beads. Yeah. In one bead, you've seen a lot, though. Yep. Did you you see that for North Carolina, that museum has been drawing 50,000 visitors during its first month? Wow. Well, I bet if we could get the Southwest Michigan Underwater Preserve $450,000, I bet you'd have one hell of a museum up there in South Haven. Hey, for $45,000, we could do uh, a good bit of uh, work on a hell of a museum much, presentation. That much capital? I bet we could have found the Chikora by now. <laughs> I bet you we would. Mm-hmm. I I feel comfortable in saying that's a positive. For forty five thousand, yeah, I think so. So, so somebody needs to, to to tell us to prove it and give us forty five grand. Yeah, we gotta get some grants going and get some private donations. <laughs> hey Mac, you mind if we rename it to somebody else's wreck if they want to donate, you know, lots of money. Kinda of like you do with professional ballparks. Yeah, Hey, somebody wants to pay us that money for that? Welcome to it, Brad. Let's see. We could. But see, we 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 can't call it a wreck, though. Uh, that's a, a negative term as far as marketing. It's the schooner. Or or a find discovery. So let's see. We just need to find uh, somebody with uh, deep pockets. The automotive industry is coming back. Maybe it could be the uh, the General Motors schooner. <laughs> you could almost put a coffer dam around it. Yeah, then we could, you know, dive it at about ten feet. Could you do a coffer dam on something that deep? Sure, you can. It's long enough. Well, I mean, I, I guess dry docks are deeper than that, so why not? Yeah, if you got the money, you can do pretty much anything. Wow, that, that just kind of that would just be amazing, wouldn't it, to have a coffer dam there? Amazing to have a four, you know, a jackup barge over it for a month too. Oh, yeah. Well, if you're going to go with a coffer dam, I think we need to put a roof on it. <laughs> well, this this last article I liked because uh, just just the angle that the writer took. Uh, this one is a travel blog, and she says, "I'm naturally a fair person. I only write grown-up happy stuff. Uh, I get guilty, and I have to go away and write the other side of the story because that's fair and stop people from making errors in judgment." Boy, did they brainwash me with that informed consent stuff back in the day. So what she's talking about is to offset the gushy post she has when she writes about the joy of aquatic. She thought that she needed to uh, bring up some of the negatives of scuba diving from a female perspective. The first one she said was that uh, uh, things that are negatives is your vanity. They said if you're vain, you might as well forget it now. It's like childbirth. You're not going to look good doing this. It's absolutely impossible. Between the rivers of snot you produce, the hair tangles, ball, and the unattractive pressure marks your mask leaving your face, it's not sport for those who have to look good. So I you, would probably take exception with that. I've seen some very good-looking ladies underwater. Yes. Yeah, I, I think uh, maybe maybe their standards are just a little high. The, I think most of us those guys are not that picky. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm taking a look at some of those who are diving there in the Bahamas and Hawaii and where it's really warm. They're not quite wearing seven mil wetsuits, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, that's uh, yeah, that, that does have a good look. 
Uh, and then they, she said, dignity is something else that, uh, that you kind of lose out. Uh, she said, prepared to give that up if you go diving by the time you study, you have diving mastered. Uh, you have uh, figured out how to inflate a dive boat. You have landed in the footwell, uh, looking like the aquatic mammal that washes up in beaches. Then <laughs> the local inhabitants encouraged rolling back into the sea. She says, also, uh, uh, it, this, it's a little bit like Dr. Huna's TARDIS. Because you have to bend the laws of uh, physics, forcing so much flesh in the neoprene. <laughs> she says that many times it takes two men uh, and wrestling to pull the zipper up on your wetsuit can uh, ramp up the humiliation factor. <laughs> I know. I, I consider that, again, from a guy's perspective, that's that's kind of a bonus, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, you get to be the two guys holding. But by yeah. the same token, you know, most of the ladies I know, you don't have to wrestle into a wetsuit for them. It's uh, some of us guys that have a little trouble. Oh, but it's because of the, the male wetsuits shrink. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's just something they use a different material. I don't know what it is. It's usually in about the, the gut area where it shrinks. Uh, the, the third disadvantage you said of diving is you'll become poor quickly. Um, she says that all that stuff you have to buy adds up, uh, sets you back quite a bit of money, BCDs, regulators, uh, all sorts of accessories. And then uh, she talks about hard choices, uh, more boots or diving kits. <laughs> the nice part about being a diver, though, if the people say, well, what do you want for Christmas? What do you want for your birthday? you got tons of suggestions. Yeah, we'll have to do an episode on that, on, on uh, holiday gifts. And then uh, there's a few other sections she talks about, tedium and choice. But you're going to have to go and read her article to get the rest of those. Uh, I, I liked her closing. It said, despite all the things above, I don't think I gave up diving. The pluses do actually outweigh the negatives. I was never a big fan of vanity or dignity anyway. <laughs> so uh, an excellent article. Yeah, the last little part in the uh, under the wealth part was sort of interesting. It's so manly to contort yourself like a lightning struck shark to find your alternate error when you need it. Incidentally, your boyfriend, partner, nearest man will try to make all your equipment choices for you and will refuse to take into consideration the clear fact that you are built differently than them. They haven't actually noticed your breath, see vanity above, and, and will therefore try to force upon you their own favorite brand of scuba bondage gear. Well, as the part about actually noticed your breast, I think they have. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's way up on the front list there, their number one item, and force upon their own favorite brand. I don't know. Now, she's got issues because bondage gear. Now, that's an interesting <laughs> lady we might want to have interviewed here. Yeah. Yeah. We're, uh, uh, we could find a segment for her. Yeah. But the, uh, I had something on my, uh, on the tip of my tongue and I forgot it now. It's like you got to be from Britain, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the uh, spending pounds is is kind of what gave it away. Oh, I know what I was going to say. I was, uh, she was talking about didn't notice. The thing is, were, is the gear that her significant other's offering, is it his gear that he's trying to get rid of to upgrade? Because I could see that happening. Well, yeah, but you're doing that in her best interest. Oh, of course. Know? Give her an opportunity to try some used gear that is flexible, and already broken in a little bit. Oh, yeah. So when she gets really into it, then she knows what to buy. Yeah, and it's all adjustable. I mean, you just change the straps around and you're all set. Okay. Photos of the week. Did I, did I, let me paste this in. I don't think I gave it to you. This might have been one that happened after I sent out the show notes on through Skype. That's a freaking big shark. <laughs> I'm going to look too. Yeah. Yeah. This is uh, some photos of sharks. 
that guy's been around too, man. He's got a lot of marks on him, scrapes. Yeah. On the frontal part and around his snout. He's, he's been somewhere. Yeah, and he's he's, he's coming right at that diver, and, and he's got to be analyzing, you know, is there is he going to be tasty enough that I want to mess with? Yeah, the third one down where he's going by the cage, he really looks like he's smiling. He does. And he just looks like a shark who is just gigantic. I mean, doesn't he look like he's just trying to outgrow his skin? You know, some, yeah, some shark. Yeah, diver sort of piggybacking on his back. He looks uh-huh. only maybe seven feet or so. Now, is, that, is this all the same shark maybe, or? It sure sort of looks like it, because look at the scars on him. Yeah, because that one the where the divers, the, where the divers piggybacking, he looks a lot smaller in that photo. Yeah, because that one picture by the cage, he looks pretty big. Yeah, can all be <laughs> angles too. Haven't seen too many of those in Lake Cora or Pawpaw Lake, but yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah, I I don't feel. I mean, I wouldn't mind seeing them, but I'd want to control when I see them. <laughs> yeah, or I don't be want them. Of the cage. Yeah, I don't want them sneaking up on me. Yeah, I'd rather be in the cage looking out than out wishing I was in the cage. And then this one's, uh, I put it under the category of potentially uh, cool scuba gear. Uh, this is Fishy Robotics Do Underwater Wonders. Uh, and this is from the Office of Naval Research supporting baby steps towards making uh, surveillance objects similar as jellyfish. Uh, as a surveillance robot powered by atoms around it. Fins would pick up intelligence while propelling a robot bluegill sunfish. It sort of goes along with the fish we looked at last time, two weeks ago. Yeah, but it, the photos are completely different. Yeah, this looks more like a big eel or something than what I'm looking at. Yeah, yeah. there's one photo that does, yeah, I don't know what type of story you'd see that in, not your average dive shop. And it does not look like a... Uh... Jellyfish by any stretch of the imagination. No. So he said the they said they they see the eel robot as a possible surveillance surveillance tool, but the Office of Naval Research's three year nine hundred thousand dollar grant is focused on making an eel and seeing whether it can swim without disturbing the water around it. See, there's there's uh, the preserves money right there. Yeah. We could tell them that we could create an eel and then we just go and hunt wrecks. Now, we need to direct some of these funds towards Bob and have him start working on some ROVs. But when you look at that, it is, not to underestimate what they're doing, but I could take a tube and make it flop around. Hmm. It's up there. Yeah, you're right. Maybe we do need to get Bob working on something like this. Heck, if they got that type of money. Yeah, I guess we need some more young blood in the club who's more versed in the technical aspects. Mm-hmm. Looks very interesting. So some potentially cool gear. Uh, also, uh, video didn't have a whole lot of videos this last week. I didn't. I'm I'm trying to be picky and only put the ones in there I think that can make the cut. But uh, this one, while not particularly great, it does make me wish I had thought of it first. And I don't even know if I sh- if I should mention the podcast. I've, I put the link in the chat room, so if anybody wants to go over and watch it. But uh, it is a prank, and it's one of those pranks I would have liked to have done. What do you think? I, I bet you we could pull this one on people in the area, and they'd fall for it. And which prank is that? This one of the, uh, well, h- how it goes is you've got a diver who's who's going in the water, and then you've got a, a person on shore in a wetsuit who's helping them. And then they grab a passerby, and they hand him the rope and say that they're going to go for a minute, but to hold on to the rope. And if he if he tugs on the rope, pull him out. And as the after the guy's walked away, a grounds crew guy comes, and in view of the person who's holding the rope, stakes in a sign that says, 
uh, no diving piranha in the area. <laughs> and then just as the person notices that and and the groundskeeper's there, it looks like they turn on a big blast of, of air out about where the diver would be. And then in the meantime, the diver went in, has unclipped the clip from his BC and put it onto one that's rigged up with a skeleton in it. So when the gr- groundskeeper and the person pull him back out of the water, it's just a skeleton comes up. That'd be cool. Yeah. Yeah, I, it's, like I said, it's one of those I, I'd wish I'd thought of it. Just make sure the person who's helping you is hale and hearty. You don't want them having a cardiac on you. <laughs> yeah, you might may want to have an AED with you. Now, Dave in the chat room is saying that'd be great for an open water class. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, well, you, you can head over and see that video as well as a few others at the Dive Video site, which is divevideos.scubaobsessed.com. Uh, you can also follow us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash scubaobsessed. And we also have the Scuba Obsessed website at www.scubaobsessed.com. Uh, we love those five-star reviews on iTunes, so go out there and give us some. And as well as we also have our fan map. So go to About, click on Obsessed Fans, and put your pin in the map. That's what all the cool divers do. So that does it for the news. What was that? Oh. Now we're to that time of the show where we get to talk about the dives from last week. Now, Jim, have you had any dives in a while? Yeah, I right. took my boat out. We recovered race mark. Local yacht club had set up some of race series. They unloaded their weights they had on the bottom so they could recover everything. Lost two lift bags, though. It seemed under hook somehow, and so we need to go back out and do a spot of search and see if I can find my three lift bags. They were all hooked together on one hook, and that hook came unhooked from my gear, and I didn't see it when I went back down low for it, but I didn't have enough time to do a really full search. I was oh, that getting low. So I lost three, lift, three 100-pound lift bags. Ouch. So the, maybe there's a conspiracy here, but I noticed that Wolf's got a whole load of brand-new 100-pound lift bags in the shop. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah i, I got to replace mine, so I may have to go in and see them. Yeah. And I, they were, uh, I mean, I won't say on the air how much they were, but I thought they were pretty competitively priced. So uh, I was thinking that uh, 100-pound lift bags would be more than what they had them marked for. So I don't know if that means that they're something wrong with them or what, but, uh, yeah, there were some. Were they, are they about to dry rot? They looked brand new. Wow. Yeah. yeah they've, they've got a, a little bit of inventory in. And you probably missed uh, me talk about uh, my gear loss. So I've got a, I'm now in a hunt for some fins. Yes, I did miss that. I'm sorry. Yeah. I lost one on my very last dive of a, at Cooper River. So I could swim with just one, I guess, but now I have to use them. And I did, uh, as we'll get to talking about in a minute here, we went and dove this last week and I borrowed. Mank, uh, Max Frankenfin, and I have to say that that fin was a little small for my uh, feet. My feet are a little bigger than that fin. So, Mac, did you want to talk about our uh, dive from this weekend? No, go ahead. You got the most time in, and uh, <laughs> I thought we did a pretty decent job, so go yep. for it. Yeah, so uh, as we teased last week, we had a dive planned. And uh, I, I don't know, should we say what the location was or just say that it was a an area in the northwest part of the state? Somewhere in Michigan. Somewhere in Michigan. So what we were doing is we had opportunity to dive at a location where diving isn't normally allowed. And the reason was is that we were uh, requested to do a recovery dive. Somebody a little over a year and a half ago had lost some 
uh, gold, actually. And it was quite a bit of gold, um, quite a bit of value of gold, as you see gold prices going up, but then also a lot of sentimental value. So they had uh, been looking for quite a while to find somebody to dive and uh, had gotten a hold of Mac. And uh, Mac had graciously agreed to volunteer some fellow mud mud club divers, and we, we went and uh, did the dive. Uh, there was a TV crew there, so who knows? We may see this eventually on TV in some shape or fashion. But uh, we did a, a dive in two different locations. I wouldn't say the, the first location really wasn't a dive. It was around some boat ramps, and we were doing the metal detector. This is my first chance of using a metal detector underwater or that was on something that's underwater. Uh, we were in about four feet deep of sand and muck. And I have to say, Mac, I was actually pretty impressed with how well it worked. Uh, like I said, you don't nail out lead because then you miss the goal. Yeah, and, uh, and I found I found a, was a lead weight, probably a 10-gram weight maybe. Yeah, just a little weight. I was able to find that, and I was also able to find somebody's prescription glasses. So uh, we did about, uh, I would say about 40 minutes around the docks. Uh, didn't find anything significant. Uh, this particular area looked like, it was fairly new. Uh, probably the last four or five years is when the docks had been put in. And at that time, it looked like they'd put down gravel and sand over it. I'm thinking if that uh, object was uh, there, that somebody had already found it. I do, too. If it, yeah. if it was lost on that, that, that's gone, and you're never going to hear about it. Yeah, so somebody would have just taken everything and said thank you and stuck it in their pocket so you wouldn't know about it. So then there's another area. And anytime you're doing a recovery, people say they know where they lost it, but the reality is they really don't. Because if they did, it wouldn't be lost. <laughs> it's probably it's like it's like me looking for my shoes in the morning. They're and not. I, what's that? I say that X spot they make it underwater. Unless it's got a buoy under it, it ain't gonna be there. No. So uh, she she said, well, when you do this, when you look this way, when you look that way, that's where it is. So uh, we had a. I don't know, what was that, a weight, like a sash weight? Yeah, it was a big clump weight, about 15, 16 pounds. 16 pounds. And we had inflatable boat. Now it was probably about four feet long uh, and some rope off it. So what I did is I, I, I can't remember if I was drafted or if I volunteered, but somehow I was the one who swam out as we were trying to figure out where it was. And that, get, that was to give us a, a mark to search off of. So we put that, that weight out there. And then Ken went and did the first dive. And uh, what we were doing is Mac was on shore with a rope attached out to the diver. And then what we would do is we would do arcs and a pattern, mark on that buoy, and then come back and you'd be able to pull us in. Uh, the tough thing about the bottom is that there was a lot of weeds. And, and I don't say, I shouldn't say a lot of weeds. There were weeds. Uh, I think as far as weeds go in a lake, it was probably on the light side, but it doesn't take much to make a challenge in finding it. So if you want to know what it's like to search for something, uh, have one of your kids take a penny, throw it in your backyard when the grass is about eight inches tall, and then see how easy it is to go and find that. And that's kind of what it was we were looking for. So Ken put in about, uh, I don't know, I think he had about 20 minutes, and then he came back in, and then I went out. And then I put in, gosh, about an, about an hour and a half, I think. Uh, it wasn't very deep where we were looking. Uh, tried a few different techniques for finding. I, I, I do know I had a pretty sound technique for searching because there was a rug that we had inside the, uh, the boat that had fallen out, and I was able to recover that. And then the muck varied between two inches in the bottom and maybe two feet. 
Uh, there was one, a couple spots where I went about to my shoulder in the muck. But what I was doing was literally raking my hands backwards and forwards in the area doing a search. And what would kind of throw you off is there was clams down there. So the back of your hand would bump a clam, and then you're convinced that was the object that we were looking for. And then when you go and chase down whatever it was you bumped, you'd, you'd get to that clam. So I did that probably for about 45 minutes to an hour, and then I went out and grabbed the metal detector and then, because uh, I thought that the weeds were low enough to where I could go and do a search. So we didn't actually find the item. We did a good effort. She was very appreciative of us doing the search. Uh, so we know where it's not. <laughs> so maybe we'll have to give it a try uh, sometime beginning of next year, see if we can do it again. The nice other part is you didn't have to use lights. That was one of the benefits or the best parts of the other day. Yeah, we we didn't have to use lights. It was it was shallow enough, and then we had enough natural daylight. Um, yeah, had it been maybe another twenty feet deeper, then lights may have been needed. But you know, it's kind of a personal preference. Uh, I didn't actually have any have any light. Uh, let me see here. Was that a link here? What I just sent you? Yeah. Yeah. What that is talking about scuba gear. Uh-huh. I thought I'd send one of the uh, James Bond car. Uh, oh. There's that. There's the uh, underwater plane by Sir Richard Branson's, the Necker Nymph. Uh-huh. That's what I want. Then you've seen the uh, Scooby-Doo scooters. You, yeah. I think we've seen something similar to it, but those are freaking impressive. Yeah. And the underwater resort called the Poseidon, Poseidon Resort. You want to take a look at that one. That's pretty cool. And the underwater post office. So if you look at those, you can you can put that up, and that's uh, a quick, easy item yep. that guys can take a look at some really nice things if you got the coin. Oh yeah, certainly. So we'll paste that in the chat room. But uh, kind of back on the dives, I, I uh, it was a nice location. Yeah, we didn't have to mess with uh, dive lights, but once you get stirring it up, you couldn't see anything anyway. It did settle down fairly well. There's a few spots I really mucked up, and you'd come back five, ten minutes later, and and uh, it would have cleared up a little bit. Uh, the weeds, I imagine they were probably taller in the summer, but they had settled down a little bit. And then I did get a chance to try some uh, new fins. Uh, uh, Ken had let me try his, he had some Hollis fins, and I really like those. So those are also on the short list for gear replacement. <laughs> the, the chat room is volunteering. They said that uh, they could smell gold right through the mass, so that we should have brought them with us. <laughs> <laughs> We, we we may take somebody up on that, you know. So somebody wants. Yeah, to put, I think maybe that's me. Yeah, if somebody wants yeah, to put their their I, name on a on a waiting list, uh, they can. Uh, you know, we can we could bring them along. You 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 may have to go through a a a body scan when you're done. Yeah, a few people volunteering. You know, I I I enjoyed it. I I like being underwater. I mean, I was tired. I mean, that that, that does take a lot of work. Of I mean, you're pretty much swimming in mud. But uh, it was for it was for a worthwhile cause, and uh, that was the key item we did it. Yeah, and and it does get some uh, you know some practice in. You know, it, it's a different mindset of uh, how you go through. And I think we did refine and come up with some better ways for next time on how we're going to do some searching. Uh, probably the other thing that would be that would might be nice to be figure out how we could do multiple divers in the water at the same time. If there's any way of you know because if if you did it right, it seemed like more divers in the water might mean more ground being covered. So so that that does it for last week's dives. Now, uh, I'm not going to have a chance to dive this weekend, I don't believe. I've got to do some travel for work again. It's that time of year. So I'll be heading to Missouri. I'm going to do Missouri and back in about a day and a half. This time I'll drive in. 
I do believe Bob went to the meet and greet up there in Gilboa. Yes, he did. He did do the meet and greet. So if uh, if you've heard us talk about Bob and you were at Gilboa this last weekend, uh, you probably know who he was. He was probably the rebreather diver who was looking for a buddy because I don't think he had, we had anybody else go with him this time. Kirk, I don't no. think, made it. So I, I've wanted to do that, that, that meet and greet. Jim Kleeman and I have talked about night. it several times. What's that, Jim? It's a lot of fun. I've been to a few and I thought about going this year, but uh, turned out it's a weekend where I could get in the big lake, and so I did. Yeah. Yeah, I don't blame you at all if you can get in the big lake. there's That, that might be the last time for the big lake. You, you about ready to put your boat up? Uh, yeah, my wife tells me it's time. Yeah. <laughs> I cleaned it out today, cut the carpet out, cut the carpet out after work tonight, and I'm going to make it a little more... Uh, Wet friendly. Now, when you say cut the carpet out, you're just talking about you took the old carpet out that was in there. All, all that gray carpet that was on the floor and up, uh, cut it all out and it's gone. Okay. So I'm going to use a uh, textured paint to paint the floor and make it a little easier to just uh, close it down when we're done putting all that mud in it that we usually drag back in. Make it easier with a little little cleaner and a little easier to maintain. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, the only nice thing about a carpet, though, is it does tend to be less slip. Yeah, I think the paint sound is uh, going to work well. It's a real uh, textured paint. Okay, cool. Of course, it's only supposed to be in the 40s this weekend here, so last I looked, they were calling for some pretty good waves in the lake, so I'm probably done for my boat for the season. Sad, sad day. It is, but that we're also one day closer to next year's diving. Yep. Okay, well, tomorrow they're calling for seven to eight, and Saturday five to sixes, and Sunday four footers. I don't think I'm going to be looking for my lift bags this weekend. No. Yeah, the uh, chat room is saying spray and bed liner. I'd, I'd thought about that uh, as well. I was talking to somebody today about spray and bed liner. There's a textured paint, which they use on docks and other things. Uh-huh. That's about the same consistency once it dries as a spray and bed liner. Uh, but you can roll it on so you've got better control of it. So that's uh, what I'm planning to put in there. Okay. Gosh, I just I always say this this time of the show, but I feel like I'm forgetting something. Well, it's got to be the joke we need. It must be. Let's see. Uh, we we did the one last week. I don't think either of you were here for last week's joke. Okay. So that means I could just tell last week's joke and you wouldn't even know it. Yeah. Well, there's other people who were listening. <clears throat> yeah, I guess in their case, we should we should probably do it. Um, hmm. Besides, if we go back and listen to the recorded podcast, uh, I want to hear a new joke. That's true. That's true. So... Let's see, I've got two jokes. Which one, which one? Neither of them are terribly good, which is what we've grown to expect. Okay, well, I did say it was a bad joke. So here we go. A scuba diver driving a Ford Focus pulls up the stoplight next to a Rolls Royce. He rolls down his window and shouts to the driver of the Rolls, Hey, buddy, that's a nice car. You got a phone in your Rolls? I've got a phone in my Ford. The driver of the Rolls looks down snobbishly and says, Yes, of course I have a phone. Driver of the Ford said, cool. Hey, you got a fridge in there too? I got a fridge in the backseat of my Ford Focus. The driver of the Rolls, much annoyed, says, yes, I have a refrigerator. The driver of the Ford says, that's great, man. Hey, you got a TV in there, you know? I got a TV in the backseat of my Ford Focus. The driver of the Rolls, quite irritated by now, replied, of course I have a television. A Rolls Royce is the finest luxury car in the world. 
The driver of the Ford said, yes, very cool car. Hey, you got a bed in there? I got a bed in the back of my Ford Focus. The driver of the Rolls upset he did not have a bed. Sped away from the light straight to the dealership where he promptly ordered a bed to be installed uh, in the back of his Rolls Royce. The next morning, he returned to pick up his car, and the bed looked superb. It came complete with silk sheets, brass-trimmed headboard. It was clearly a bed fit for a Rolls Royce. So the driver of the Rolls began searching for the Ford. He drove around all day and all night until he found the Ford Focus uh, parked later. It was parked with all the windows fogged up inside. He got out, knocked on the window of the Ford Focus, but there wasn't any answer. He continued knocking and knocking, and then finally the owner of the Ford Focus lowered the window, stuck his soaking wet out, his soaking wet head out. He says, I now have a bed in the back of my Rolls Royce, the driver of the Rolls said arrogantly. The driver of the Ford Focus looked at him narrowly and said, you got me out of the pool to tell me that? Yeah, it, it's in the it's in the name. <laughs> bad bad scuba joke. So on that note, until next week, go out there and get wet and stay safe. And try to think of somebody who was not harmed when making up tonight's show. <laughs>